We are in 1 John chapter 2, and we are going to take up where Scott left off last week, which is verse 10. All right, 1 John is dealing with this idea of being an overcomer and, and what that looks like. We've, it's, it's, it's been talking, and remember, uh, just a little background that, that John is, is dealing with, uh, with Gnosticism, or at least the, at least the initial... Uh, some of the initial kind of symptoms of, of Gnosticism, some false teaching that is creeping into the church. And so 1 John is a letter that's written as a response back to the churches for, for some of the things that are going on. Remember, Gnostic kind of a viewpoint is this idea that what you really need is you need the Gnosis. You need that special knowledge. And that special knowledge, that, that special knowledge and that, that kind of that inward connection that you can have uh, with God that's kind of this secret sauce of a relationship with God, if you just get that, then the, the Christ that's in you will kind of begin to burn brighter and, and all of these kinds of things. Remember, Gnosticism also, it, it dealt with the idea that, that what was really evil was the flesh and what was really good was the spirit. And so anything that was of the flesh, it was, it was just discounted. It was like, it was like ah, it's not a big deal. Like you could, on a lot of levels, many Gnostic teachers would teach, well, you can just kind of do whatever you want to, you know, just kind of you know, just party like a rock star, don't worry about it, um, it's all good, why? Because that flesh is just tainted already, it's, it's messed up, and so you don't have to worry about it, what you really just need to know is that one day you'll be set free from the flesh, and you'll live in the spirit, and that's the, 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 the perfect thing or the goal. It, it's very much like new age teaching today, um, when they start talking about new age Christianity or whatever, there's nothing new about it, it's actually quite old. It's been going on for a long time, even preceding the things of First John. But let's go on. We'll keep going. Verse 10, second chapter, First John, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so last week, Scott talked a lot about this idea of like, uh, and then, you know, maybe we don't want to say hate, but, but it's an intense dislike for somebody, you know, just where we're, we're hung up on that. And I can't really think of any better kind of a, a story is the parable of the, of the lost son that's in Luke chapter 15. It starts in verse 11. And, and just a quick overview of, of that story, we've got this younger brother who, we've got two brothers and a, and a father in this, and, and it's a parable that Jesus taught, and, and the younger brother comes to the, to the father one day, and he says, hey, just, you know, give me my share of the inheritance. Yeah, and he basically says, look, how about if I pretend like you're dead, and why don't you just give me what I've got coming now before you actually die? Just give me my inheritance now, and because I've got a better plan than you do, and so I'm going to go, and I'm going to spend it over here in this distant land. And so he takes off, and it says he, he goes to this distant land, and there he's just, he just he squanders it, it says, in wild living. Like, he just, he just kind of throws it all up in the air, runs out from underneath it. Um, you know, he, he probably thought that it was going to be a great investment, that he had this great plan, and it was always better on the other side of the fence. This is kind of who we are, you know? We just have this, this thing that pulls at us where we believe that, like, hey, the grass is just a little greener on the other side of the fence. 
There's a saying I like that if, if, if you believe that the grass is, is, better, is greener on the other side of the fence, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to water the grass on your side of the fence, okay? Because it's not really better over there. It's just not. So, so we just need to understand that. But this, this younger brother, he takes off and he, he leaves the father and he goes to this distant land. And what we see is his life just begins to spiral out of control. Ultimately, he hires himself out to this to this uh, foreigner, and this foreigner sends him out to the fields to feed pigs, and even worse than that, these pigs are eating better than he is, and, and it says that something happens in his mind, and he says, he has an aha moment, the light bulb comes on, and he's like, wait a minute, what am I doing? He goes, man, back at my father's house, even the hired men have more than enough to eat, to eat. and here I am, I'm, I'm starving to death, I'm dying, I'm going to go back. You know what? I'm going to go back as, to my father's house, and I'll just go back, and I'll say this. Father, I've sinned against heaven, against earth. I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but if you just make me as a, as a hired man, as a servant, that'd be good enough. And we see this picture where he basically, he, he goes the wrong way. He goes away from the father, but then he's restored he's, in his mind. He, he, he repents. He turns around, and he comes back to the father. He recognizes his father is a source of, of goodness and that he's walked away from it. And, and he, as he comes into the presence of his father, he's, he's you know, wanting to say, gosh, I, you know, I've, I've, I've sinned against heaven, against earth. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And we see this whole picture of where the father just grabs him and runs to him and, and, and hugs him and is filled with compassion and love for him. And he tells this son, he, he begins to, the restoration process. The, the son is like, look, I'm only worth being a servant right now. And he says, no. He says, go get the finest robe and put on him. And it's this picture of the restoration of this younger son. And it's a picture of his true identity that he's restoring him back to who he's always meant to be. He's like saying, no, you're, you're not a servant, you're a son. And then it says that he gives him a ring and that ring is authority. It represents authority. It's this signet ring. And any, any deal that he gets in, even though he, he burned just half of what everybody had down to the ground in that distant land, the father gives him authority. The father never visits the past. He just moves forward in this relationship with his son. And then he, he puts sandals on his feet because, you see, in that, those days, the slaves went barefoot. And so it's a picture of the father setting him free from the sin that he'd had been into. So we see this whole picture of this brother, and we see this restoration, and we see this father. And then the father says this. He says, man, we're going to party because this son of mine has come back. He was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so he says, hey, go and kill that fatted calf, man, that big fat one, you know, that one that we've been saving up for, that we've been like pumping all that grain to. So we've been waiting for a big opportunity to party. This is it. Let's have the party. And so it says that they... They, they do that, and, and, and there's this tent of celebration that is set up, and, and the father invites all of the neighbors over, and there's this big party that starts to happen. And at that point, the older brother shows up, right? And the older brother, he comes in from the fields where he's been working. He's been doing all the right stuff every day. He's been working hard. He's been staying there with the father. He's been just doing all the right stuff. And he comes, and, and he comes into this scene, and he's like, what's all this music and dancing? He asked one of the servants, Who, what, what, why is everybody dancing? Why is there music, and why is this happening? And, and the servant says to him, well, your, your brother, he's, he came home. He's back, and your father has killed the fatted calf and, and, is, and is invited everybody and is having a big party on his behalf, and and, and, and it says that he grew angry. And you know what it says? It says he refused 
to go in. He wouldn't go into the party. You know why he wouldn't go into the party? Because he was angry and because he was mad and because he felt like he'd been doing all the right stuff and his brother hadn't. And so he really hated his brother. As a matter of fact, in all reality, most likely the scenario is is that he probably believed that his father should have killed his brother when his brother arrived, came back. But instead, his brother is, is being celebrated because of his return, and it says that he, he grew angry and he refused to go in. He wouldn't go in. Think he was invited? I think he was invited. As a matter of fact, we can know he was invited because the next thing we see is it says the father comes out and begs him, just come in. Come on, man. We've got a good party going on. We've got everybody's dancing. We're having a great time. We've got we killed the fatted calf. We've got great food. Everybody's having a great time. Just on into the party. Your brother's back. He, we, we have to celebrate this. He's, he's back. He was dead, and now he's alive. He's lost, and now he's found. Just come on in. And his response to that is, you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. You, you never gave me anything. I, I've been slaving for you, he says. I've been slaving for you, and you never even gave me a little goat. But if you read the beginning of the story, it says that he actually divided his estate between those two brothers. But you see, now this older brother, he's in the darkness, and it's his anger, it's his resentment, and it's unforgiveness that have him there. And you see, he is completely blinded to the blessings that are all around him because his father tells him, says, look, everything I've ever had has always been yours. I never withheld any one good thing from you ever. It's all always been yours. But you see, he can't see the good things that are around him. And this is what unforgiveness does to us. This is what that anger and resentment and unforgiveness does to us. It blinds you. It will blind you every time. It will leave you in the darkness. You will not be able to see the good things that are around you. All you'll be able to see is what you perceive to be wrong around you. And this is kind of this idea here that John is telling us, like, when we hate our brother, it puts us in the darkness. And we walk in darkness, and we don't know where we're at. We don't know where we're going because darkness has blinded our eyes. You see, forgiveness is this pathway out of that. It's the pathway that how we get out of being chained to an event in the past. You see, If you won't forgive, or if you're struggling, and don't get me wrong, it it is a divine thing to forgive. Forgiving somebody, especially deep offense, is not a simple thing. And it's not probably something that you're going to be able to just muster and just figure out how to forgive them. What we really need is an intervention here with God. We need God to help us to do that. But you see, in so doing, it's, it's the way out. It's the way out of death. It's the way out of darkness. You see, Jesus on the cross, he forgave us so that we might walk in this kind of light. And because of what he's done for us, we might also be a people who recognize the need for us to forgive others, to let them go. Forgiveness is actually for you. Sometimes we we want to withhold it because we believe that it's somehow letting somebody off the hook, but it's not letting someone off the hook. It's actually saying, you hurt me. You cost me something. This cost me. This was hard. This was difficult. This was painful. But I'm choosing today to not be bound by an event in the past, 
I'm choosing today to walk forward. And the keys to that chain is forgiveness. And so if you haven't, if you've struggled, we understand, we, we get that. But you need to be in that process. If you've had a deep offense, if you have something, if you're holding something against someone, don't keep walking in the dark. Turn loose. Take that chain of forgiveness and get those chains off and begin to walk in the light and the life that Jesus has purchased for us. Verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. It's kind of an interesting thing. So we start with this idea, and we're moving out of this idea, right, of of unforgiveness and walking in the dark and hating a brother or a sister, and and now we're, we're, we're saying, it says, I'm writing this to you because because your sins are forgiven. Understand this. And, and see, the, the problem that we tend to have is that we minimize our sin. It's our pride that tends to kind of get us lofted up here, and we, we minimize our sin. We think that the things sometimes that we've done aren't really that bad. Or else, maybe too, we think that those things are so bad that they just can't be forgiven. That, yeah, okay, I get it that God can forgive everybody, but not what I've done. But you see, he starts in this, it starts in this place, and it says, you know, this is our basis. This is our basis for everything else, is start with this idea that you've been forgiven, that your true identity has been changed, that you're no longer your actions. You're no longer this, this sin or this thing that you've done or this sitting in your closet or whatever that looks like, that we have been forgiven if we're in Christ. And we're forgiven for his namesake. Kind of an interesting thing. You ever hear people say, for God's sake, right? Or for the sake of the Lord, quit doing that. You know, I mean, it's just this idea, and it's kind of a foreign concept to us in a way. But it's interesting. You see, God, for his own sake, to be relationally restored to you and I, justice had to be served, and sin had to be forgiven. He can't be in the presence of it. He can't, he can't just sweep it under the carpet. I know that that's what we all want to have happen. That's what the world wants to have happen. But you don't really want a God that just takes justice and sweeps it under the carpet. You want a God that's truly good. You see, because if God takes what's wrong and what's evil in this world and he sweeps it under the carpet, guess what? He's no longer good. He's no longer good. Let me ask you this. Let's just say, you know, you're, you're looking at me and you're saying, gosh, man, try is such a spiritual thoroughbred. And he's amazing. Then you found out that next door to me, there were some really bad things that were happening to children. And I knew about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't agree with it and I didn't participate in it. And I thought it was horrible and it was wrong. If I did nothing about it, would it change the way you saw me? Would it, would it mar my character? It would mar my character, right? It would change everything about that. You see, God can't be in that position. For this to work out, for forgiveness to happen, justice had to be met. And justice was met in the only place that it could be on the cross. And as, as God forgave us, as he, don't get me wrong, he did not tap dance around sin. He paid the penalty for sin. He appeased the wrath so that you and I could be rightly related to him. 
Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. What a great thing. You know, because sometimes we're like this. We're like, for the 475th time, oh, man, God, just can you forgive me for that thing back there? that time where I can't even believe that I did what I did and who I am and what that looked like. Like I've told you guys time and time again, if you knew about me what God knows about me, you wouldn't listen to one word I have to say. But like I said, if I knew about you, what God knows about you, I'd lock the door this morning. But um, we can get together and we can exercise grace, and we can understand that we've been forgiven. And listen to this. God has said he will remember your sins no more. It's like, it's like we're saying, oh, can you forgive me for that back there? And God's like, for what? It's over. It's finished. At the cross, it was, it was done. It was, it was paid for. It exists no more. Who is a God like you? Micah 7 pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What a crazy thing that God is just going to... It says that he's going to bury it at the bottom of the ocean, and he's going to remember it no more. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Do you know how far the east is from the west? It's forever. You you can never start walking east and all of a sudden you're walking west, right? You just keep walking east. It's an interesting thing, too, that the Bible would lay it out this way that it's from east to west because if it was north to south, we'd be in trouble. Because you can start walking north, and eventually you'll be walking south. So as far as the north is from the south, isn't that far, but the east is from the west, it's forever. And this is what he said. This is the promise, and this is the gospel, and this is the basis of of where we start. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. It's kind of a a progression from children who just know the Father to young men who are overcomers, who are abiding in God's Word, who who have a strength and an endowed strength that comes from abiding in the Word, and they are overcomers because of this. And then it's talking about fathers or older men uh, because you know him who is from the beginning. I think that that begins to point to this idea of a deeper relationship. Knowing him, it isn't just a knowing about him, it's an experiential knowing him. 
It means we don't just know facts about Jesus. It means we've experienced him, and we know for true who he is, that he is the eternal God, that he is the God who is eternal from all of history past and all of history forward, that he is the one who is before time, who is outside of his creation, because these fathers, they know him who is from the beginning. And young men, because you have overcome. So it starts with just children who just know the Father. And, and, then, and then there's this, there's this period of time, this young men time or this young person time of, of where we're wrestling and it seems like we're, we're grappling and we're, we're going back and forth and we're trying to figure some of this out and we're having, trying to have some, some, uh, some victory in our lives and trying to work things out in our lives, ultimately to fathers who, who have a settled faith an understanding of, of who Jesus is, and we're settled in that, and we know that he's just the everlasting God. It's a progression, a journey, a maturing relationship. These young men are endowed with strength, and, and, and we need to be endowed. And how are they endowed with strength? Well, it says that they're endowed with strength basically through the word, through God's word. You see, God wants to endow you and I with strength through his word because we tend towards weakness in reality. We tend towards easy things. We tend towards things that don't necessarily always bless us or others. We, we tend towards living our lives for things that aren't really worthy of our lives. We tend to live for the temporal things and get caught up in thinking that life and my identity and my meaning and my purpose are all wrapped up in all of the stuff that I have. And how great that stuff is and how big bank accounts are and homes and cars and vehicles and who I'm with and how many people I have influence with on social media and different things like that, you see. And God is trying to always remind us that that's not who we are, that our identity is, can only be found in Him. And, and out of that, then, God can give us strength. When, when we're sitting in that place, you see, then the world can't rob from you your strength. You, can't, you won't live in the weakness of the world because you won't be living for temporary things that aren't really worthy of really your time or affection. Now, don't get me wrong. There are so many of those things that we're talking about that are, that are important and they're fine and they're good things in life. We just can't get them out of step with our relationship to God because when we get them out of step with our relationship to God, then, then, then we start to lose strength. And then our weakness comes out. You see, because God wants an abiding strength. And, and his word, it says that the reason that they're endowed with strength and the reason that they are overcomers and that they have victory is, is because they are abiding in God's word. Now, abiding, we get the word abode or home from this word abide. And abide does not mean to just come and visit. Abiding means living there. It means that God's word is rich and alive. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You see, God's word is going to challenge you and me. It's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge what we're doing and how we're living and what we're living for and what we think is true and right and different things like that. And it gives us a basis and it gives us an anchor point. It gives us something to actually begin to live our lives out. It gives us something to evaluate what's true and what's not true from. 
And that gives us strength, and that helps us to overcome. You see, it's in life inside of them is what it says. And because of that life that's inside, it gives strength. And because of the life of the Word inside of us, it helps us to overcome the things of the world. You see, when it talks about how this two-edged sword, it's sharp, and it's piercing, and it goes between soul and spirit... It has that, that cut in it, and that cut has this idea of this, it's a healing cut. It's not a cut that's meant to injure, it's a cut that's meant to heal. It's the same as like getting a tumor or something cut out of you. It's, God, it's God's word that reveals to us the tumors and the things that are in our lives that need to be cut out and taken, and it goes into a deep place. You see, the Bible isn't like other things. If you really have a relationship with God and with his word, you'll understand that this is the most profound book that you'll ever read, that there's no struggle, there's nothing in life, there's nothing that, that you're going to run up against that, that is going to come from you outside of some way that you can relate what's going on in your life to what's happening in here. I've, I've just, there's nothing like it. And, and you can read the same thing a hundred times, and then all of a sudden, it'll jump off of the page at you, and it'll just go, and you're like, oh, man, I never saw that that way or whatever. Do you know how many books have been written off of this book? It's crazy. Jordan Peterson does this thing where, where, where he says that this is the first hyperlinked book ever. And it has like 60,000 different places where this book links to itself and different passages and different things. And, and, and you've got this, 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 this thing, you've got this account that goes from for thousands and thousands of years yet with different authors yet maintains an integrity of message that just only God could have actually maintained. And God's word, when it's abiding in us and we're abiding in it, it helps us to have discernment and to understand what's true and what's not. It, it guides us. It teaches us. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will have a great effect in your life. It will set you free. It will set you free from the bondage of the lie that we tend to live under. You'll find freedom there. You'll find truth in abiding. It will guide you, it will help you, and it will teach you. James 7 tells us this. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil, right? It says, it says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. God is not this angry, mad, sitting back here doing this, going, if you get over here, we can talk. No, but God is a respecter of your free will. And just like that younger son who, is, when he began his journey back, it says that the father saw him from a long ways off, and it was the father who closed and ran to him and closed the final distance between him and his son. All God needs is to see us starting to return, just to get back. And the great thing is, is His grace and His mercy is new every day, regardless of where we've been or what we've had going on. When we draw near to God, boom, He's there, and He draws near to us, to us. And when we submit ourselves to Him and to His Word and what He's teaching us, it, then it says that we then have, we have endowed power to resist the devil, and then He will eventually, when you continue to resist enough and long enough, He'll flee from you. 
He won't have the power or the ability to stay because he's a deceiver. And he's constantly bringing deception into the world around us. And we are living in a world right now of great deception. There's so many things going on right now. There's so many challenges to the truth. And there's so many of us out there, so many folks, we just kind of look at things and instead of comparing our lives and what we're doing against God's word, we just do what seems right to us. As a matter of fact, we're a culture that is always taking surveys because as soon as 51% of the people are doing X, now X is fine and good and moral and it's all the rage, right? But, but you see, Proverbs 14 says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It doesn't have a good ending. It doesn't bless. It doesn't bring life. It brings death. And there's so many things today where we just seem like, boy, that seems right to us. But really, what we need is we need to have God tell us what's right. Because again, remember, our freedom isn't based on this idea of, of doing what we want to do. You do what you want to do. If you're like me, it'll lead you to bondage. Doing what we want to do, doing what keeps us out of bondage is what true freedom is. That verse is repeated again in Proverbs chapter 16. See, and here's the reality is that some authority is going to guide your life. You're going to follow something. We may not want to admit that, but, but we are always following something. And we are spending our lives each and every day on something. Is what you're spending your life on worthy of your time and your life? Are we abiding? Are we growing in that relationship to where we're moving from this place of child to young to older to mature? Are we, are we participating in that? Are you, are you, in, are you in God's word? Are, are you abiding? Are you living there? Where are you? See, the world is going to sweep us away without an anchor. There are so many voices out there, and what we really need to be thinking is legacy. If you're young here today, you need to be thinking about legacy. A great way to do that, I think Brent was talking about this once, is, is, is think about what you would like. The, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, as a matter of fact, is written like for this. Just think about your funeral. Think about things that you would want to have said about you in your funeral. And, and let me just say this really quick. I, a lot of times I'll do funerals to help people out, families, because, you know, a lot of times, even though maybe they, they're maybe not even really Christians, they still want a pastor to do the, the, the funeral. And so I'll help them out sometimes with those things. And I'll go and I'll try to get an idea about this person that we're talking about and help me to understand this life that they lived and what they were like. And, you know, just, just help me to give me some things to, you know, and they'll be like, well, you know, uh, you love the Broncos. Or he loved to fish. Okay, you know, and don't get me wrong, those are fine, fine. But if that's it, if that's all that people remember about us, then we've missed the mark. See, we need to have this, this desire to say that, that we would want people to say, you know what, he or she loved and served the Lord, loved and served the community because of that, lived for these things, and 
They love to fish or they love the Broncos. You see, those things just can't be the main thing. It can't be the thing. And so, so if you're younger here today or even older, just, just think about what you want to have said at the end of your life about you. And then today, start putting into place the things that will get you there. Start living our lives for a legacy, for what life is really about. And really quick, let's talk about this idea of abiding, and then we'll close. Abiding isn't this. Abiding isn't saying, okay, now try. I'm with you. I'm going to come to church every Sunday. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Okay, that's great. That can be a part of abiding, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm good with those things. But, but I, I'm going to go out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good today. I'm going to go, boy, I'm going to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some good things for some people. That's not what you're being called to today. You're not being called. Jesus isn't calling you to go out and go and be a good person. He's calling you to abide in him. John 15, 4 through 6, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And and why is that? And and that sounds so harsh. It's because they're dead. It's because a branch that falls off of the vine is dead. Fruit trees, they don't have to think about bearing fruit. Bearing fruit is directly in proportion to where their roots are at. And when they're rooted into a place where they have what they need, the nourishment, the water, everything like that, then guess what happens in their life? It bears fruit, and it just happens. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. He's not calling us to come up with all these plans of, boy, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to be an amazing person, I'm going to do this, this. No, he's just saying, just abide in me. And guess what will happen in your life? It'll, It'll just show up. Fruit will be the outcome of abiding an abiding relationship with Jesus. And to have an abiding relationship with Jesus, you need to have an abiding relationship to his word, what he's left us and what he's given us. He tells us plain, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. doesn't mean you'll be perfect. It doesn't mean you'll, you'll get this all just right every time. But it does mean that the trajectory of your life will be to continue to push back into him, recognizing he's the source, he's the way, he's how I do this, and just living in that. And I promise you, if we begin to abide as a church body and as individuals, you will have a headlong collision with the calling on your life when you just abide in him. All right, next week, don't love the world. Lord, we just thank you. I thank you for just every person here. I thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you that we can abide in you, that you have, that when we are in Christ, that you have forgiven us, that you have, uh, you have separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. You have, you've buried them at the bottom of the ocean. You've chosen to remember them no more. And we have a new identity. We are a new creation in you. 
and life changes and, and the trajectory of our life changes and we, we begin to move uh, in relationship to you. Uh, help us today, God, to, to do that, to, to live for your kingdom, for your purposes. Give us eyes to see the world like you do. Give us ears to, to hear from you and, and, and to be moved by the things that you've said and, and, and help us to be faithful Lord, you've called us to be faithful to you, and, and so we want to be that. And Lord, we pray that you would give us strength, and, and, and Lord, as we abide in you, Lord, we, just, we pray that you would help us to be the individuals and the church to make a difference in the world around us, to, to make a difference in our community, to, uh, to be light and love to a world that, that needs to understand that. Help us, Lord, that we might be individuals that at the end of our days... Lord, it would be said about us that, that we were followers of you, that we had an abiding and obvious relationship with you. And we're asking also, Lord, uh, that as we come into your presence one day, we would hear, well done, and faithful servant. And so, Lord, we give you glory and honor and praise today because there's no one like you. There's nothing like what you've done. You have... Uh, you have made a way where for us there was no way. You provided salvation where, where all that we had was, was darkness and death. And you've given us a path. You've given us your word to guide us and to help us. So, Lord, I just pray for each one of us that we would abide in you and in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.